Your first job was organizing children's birthday parties in Paris. Yes, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do my homework. <laughs> I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So Ma'el, the first name, Ma like mom, and then L like she in French, Ma'el. And then in French, you usually don't pronounce the last letter. So my last name is Gavé. You don't pronounce the T. This week, Ma'el Gavé, CEO of Techstars, the biggest, most active pre-seed investor in the entire world. We have 3,800 companies in our portfolio and counting. We have invested across pretty much any technology that you can think of. And we operate in uh, 16 different countries and make investment in 70 different countries around the world. And that's not just you saying that. Crunchbase ran the numbers and said, you are the biggest pre-seed in the world. Exactly. Where does the money come from? So we are, we are an investment business, so we have funds with... LPs, whether it's pension fund uh, or family offices. The specificity of Techstars is also we have a very large network of mentors and alumni, and a lot of them are LPs in our fund. So we have so much like much like Sequoia or whatnot, which would have family offices and and large LPs. You do too. The difference is more on the after the funding stage. You're more of an incubator. Yes. So the way so we only focus on pre-seed. Um, like the VC that you've just named, we do talk to um, pension funds and institutionals and family offices. Um, the difference, though, is that when you invest at pre-seed, if you do just give money and then walk away and tell them, come back when you need more money, their survival rate is not going to be very high. And so 16 years ago, Techstars came up with the concept of accelerators and what we are now doing when we invest money into a company is we also ask them to come to what is basically an entrepreneurial boot camp where for 13 weeks we are in the trenches with them to help them build their business. Is it analogous to Y Combinator? It has some commonalities, starting with the with the entrepreneurial boot camp. We're, we're different because we are much more distributed. We we have uh, we have programs all around the world. 
including San Francisco, but not not only. And that goes all the way to Nigeria and Tokyo and Paris and London and Seattle and Washington, et cetera, et cetera. Which is a huge advantage these days. I mean, we've always talked about tech spreading worldwide, but now it really is post-pandemic particularly. Absolutely. And, and I think beyond just the pandemic impact, I think for quite some times in the tech world, there has been, there has been sign of emerging ecosystems all around the world. It used to be that Silicon Valley was really the heart and brain and liver and stomach of the entire ecosystem and the entire tech body. And now what you're, you're seeing more and more is ecosystem like New York, like Seattle, like London, like Paris, who are emerging and it makes a lot of sense to be close to the founders and be in this ecosystem to work with them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't love the name Techstars. <laughs> I know you didn't invent it. You're, you're not. I the, take zero responsibility right? for what do you, it. <laughs> what do you think, just between you and me, of the, of the name Techstars? I think it reflects what the founders of Techstars really wanted to do, which is finding the next stars of the tech world. Um, and so Techstars was a pretty direct translation of what they were trying to <laughs> it's do. It's too late now. <laughs> and I think it's too late. I think our brand is too famous. The cost of retiring the brand would be very high. <laughs> what made you come to, what made you decide that being CEO would be a good idea? So I have been CEO before multiple times. Um, I've been an entrepreneur three times and I love working with entrepreneurs. And because I've been an entrepreneur three times, I know how, how amazing this can be, but also how exhausting this can be. And that's probably why I didn't build a force business. <laughs> For me, Techstars was the opportunity to go and work with hundreds of entrepreneurs every year. This year, we're going to do between 600 and 700 pre-seed investment in one year alone. I also like the, um, the international aspect of it. It's a, it's a business that was born in the U.S., but that is now truly global and support entrepreneurs from, as I said earlier, 70 different countries. So the international aspect was really interesting. And then the last aspect for me was, I think venture capital needs a bit of a reinvention. I, I think a lot has been done and I benefited from it as, an, as a founder myself and as an executive in many tech companies. VCs have been instrumental in our success. And at the same time, I think that the, the, the way they've been doing it um, with sm small number of investment, very hands-off approach to companies, very clear bias that come from pattern recognition being the prime the prime vehicle for them to make investment. I think there are better ways to do it. And so to me, Texters was an opportunity to disrupt a little I want, bit. I want to talk more about the future of venture in a minute, uh, particularly traditional venture capital. Uh, but you mentioned small number of deals, and you mentioned you're going to do 600 deals this year, was it? Yes, Probably a little more. Than You're that. not making all those decisions. I mean, who's Me making? Personally, no. Right. Exactly. Well, exactly. Right. But no. I mean, you know, I mean, some small firms. All the partners are in on a decision. Um, who, to you know, Michael Barbaro of uh, of Daily of the Daily. What does that look like? That decision. Uh, where are those decisions made? 
So it's very different because the way we structure our fund, it's almost like an actively managed index. If you're an LP in one of our, our big funds, you're going to have exposure to 800, 900, 1,000 positions. So it's it's already by definition very different than a traditional venture capital firm. The, the way we we make our investment is a pretty, pretty robust process. So we have... Uh, a certain number of applications to uh, to our programs. The numbers actually have have increased quite dramatically over the last eighteen months. Uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, and and with the funding environment being harder, uh, a lot more are coming to accelerators for support. We go through, we screen this application mostly based on what we call entrepreneurial. F- Profile. So do we think that the entrepreneur is resilient? Do we think that they're curious and willing to learn? Do they think that they're passionate about the customers? More than actual numbers, because at the pre-seed level, there's right. usually not a lot of numbers to look at, or if they are, they're pretty much made up. Uh, so we go through all of that. Then we have a screening committee uh, that is uh, specialized either by region or by topic. So we're very big in space and defense. We're very big in fintech. We've we've done a lot in food tech and agrotech. So we tend to have specialists in-house that will come to this investment committee, whether they are employees of Techstars or mentors at Techstars. And that, that uh, committee is the one that makes the final decision on this investment. You haven't had any, you know, blow out big names yet, not a, not a Facebook or a, a Tesla or whatnot, but there are f- companies that people may be familiar with, PillPack, uh, DigitalOcean, and then the FAA just cleared Zipline uh, to fly beyond the operator's site in the United States. I know. Which it's is a huge deal for them. It's a massive deal, not just for them, I think in general, because Zipline is basically uh, the world's largest automated delivery system. We had liftoff. I'm a hero! We did it! I just like saved a life, basically. Wow! How do you guys do this all day long? That enthusiastic voice is former NASA engineer Mark Rober showing millions of YouTube viewers how zipline drones work, delivering medical supplies in Africa and soon salads from Mendocino Farms. Seriously. Stores, your favorite local shop or restaurant can now more easily afford to send a thing to your door, but at an ostensibly much lower cost than a person driving a 3,000-pound car to drop it off. To watch it is just extraordinary. These small drone airplanes flying many, many miles away and returning to base over and over like a bus station. Exactly. And and it's incredibly precise um, in terms of where they actually land. And they've tested that in, in some of the most challenging environment around the world, including Africa, and some of the, the more challenging in a different way environment like Japan. And I bring it up partially because of the worldwide focus that Techstars has. Uh, you know, here's a country, a company rather, that has done a tremendous amount of work in Africa proving the point uh, coming to America and saying we can do this here. Absolutely, and and we have plenty of portfolio that do that, and that's to to a large extent why they come to us. Because I was talking to one of our portfolio company the other day, and they were like, "I really think that Japan is my next market," and we're we're talking about Amer- an American company, and I was like, "Yeah." 
no problem. We know, we, Japan, we, have, yeah. we know Japan. We have people there. We work with the Minister of Economy. They're like, tell me what you need. And and we can do that with, I would say, half of the countries in the world, like 70 plus of them. Sandhill Road will be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What are what about exits? Uh, I assume you take a uh, percentage of the company. Yes, um, we're an and, investor. We're, yeah. Yes. Uh, and then at some point you want your exit. Uh, yes. And it's getting a little harder to exit these days. I mean, some companies are being purchased, IPOs less so. Absolutely. So we are an investor. So when we, and we're usually the first check in most of these companies. We're very, uh, we're very aligned with the interest of the founder. We do not push for exit. We support them as they go through the process, but their timing is our timing. Now, obviously, uh, the market hasn't been particularly exciting from a realization perspective in the last 18 months. At the same time, at the same time, I can see IPO picking up probably in the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, there is a lot of conversations right now happening with corporation around potential acquisition. I underline the word conversations because it hasn't yet translated into actual deals, but I can see really um, this conversation increasing in frequency and intensity across our portfolio. And and I've heard venture capital firm telling me that the same is happening with their portfolio companies. We briefly touched on the future of traditional venture capital firms. You have some, some ideas about that. There are going to be some that will not be able to raise another fund, but still have to manage the funds they have. Absolutely. When you look at uh, the percentage uh, of fund being raised by emerging managers, two years ago, it was well over a third, like 33, 34%. This year, it was less than 15%. And so emerging managers are finding it incredibly hard to fundraise. LPs 
are because of the volatility that they've discovered in the venture capital asset class, in the venture asset class, have started saying, oh, we, we probably need to reduce our exposure to it and really focus on the big fund or top performers. And so what we're seeing, the result of that, and, and we've seen it at Techstars uh, over a year ago because we are the deal flow to the venture industry to a large extent. And so we talk to them all the time. And about a year ago, we started hearing some of them being like, oh, I'm going to spend more time with my family. I think it's important. I, I think I've, I've, I've raised enough money or I have enough companies in our portfolio, which makes no sense when you're a venture capitalist. Like you always want to do more deals. And so what you're seeing now is the emergence of what we internally at Textures call zombie funds, where you have managers who are still managing their past fund and, and managing the relationship with their portfolio companies, but have no ability to raise their next fund. And they're not going to go bankrupt because a VC firm doesn't go bankrupt, but they're just going to uh, slowly but surely disappear from the, or, from the map. Or perhaps some mergers. I, you know, I am often pitched by, and I enjoy doing interviews with very small firms that have small funds, but, you know, are doing something interesting and fun. I don't want to discourage anyone from that. But, you know, at some point they say, oh, there are 10 of you uh, and there really ought to be one of you. Absolutely. I think one interesting thing that may happen is um, a consolidation of all the small or, or some small emerging um, emerging manager with a provider of services for VC firms, like some kind of platform where the the emerging manager would be able to come and get all their services and potentially all the way to fundraising. There's a pretty good business there. I think there's an amazing yeah. business I there. I hope somebody's hearing that. I and would saying, invest hey, in that. <laughs> you heard it. Okay, she would invest in that. What's the prediction on your own funding? Uh, uh, the interest in tech stars and funding going forward. In general, the the pre-seed, uh, the pre-seed asset class had, has been pretty stable and, and remain a very, very uh, attractive stage for for LP. It's not to say that it's it's like a walk in the park and people are just throwing buckets of money at you. Uh, but in general, pre-seed has been pre- pretty isolated and, and we feel uh, we feel pretty happy. You used to work for a Russian company, right? Yes, I did. And you speak Russian. Yes, I do. Um, do you keep up on the Russian? I, I have left the countries during the first war in Ukraine, and I have never been back. That leads to my next question. Do you anticipate you will ever work for a Russian company ever again? It seems unlikely given the circumstances. Which is sad. I, I think, understand I why. Think, I understand I the are, justification. I'm just saying. Yeah, I think there are multiple... Uh, reasons to be very sad. And the first one is not really my career path, is what is actually happening course, on the ground. Of course. Uh, and I, I worked in Ukraine as well. And I think this war, this war is, is senseless and, and I don't understand it. Um, so that to me is what makes me the saddest. Um, the second thing that makes me sad is that I think in general, the world is not better when human beings are hitting on each other. Like it's just not, it's not great for anyone, and so, yeah, it doesn't make me doesn't make me very happy. Uh, tu parles français aussi. Oui, je suis française. <laughs> <laughs> Naturellement. Um, so you speak Russian, you speak French. Are there words in Russian or French that 
don't have a corresponding word in English. And I'm thinking of schadenfreude, uh, the German term, you know, that you you take a secret joy in someone else's misery. Um, is Is there a useful word in Russian or French you could teach us? That is an excellent question. I never thought about it. Um, what is the French word that Americans don't have? The thing is, you guys have taken a lot of our words. <laughs> entrepreneur. So, entrepreneurs <laughs> for, to start with. And so I'm actually wondering, I think you, you took a lot of the good words. <laughs> <laughs> if you think of a different one, we'll put it on the tail end of this. Um, we were talking, I was listening uh, rather on uh, Hard Fork, the podcast, and they were talking about how AI can turn podcasts into different languages, uh, Arabic or Hindi or French or, or whatnot. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's something worth pursuing. And then I thought to myself, no, I bet you most people, and this I realize I'm sitting in the United States being an American right now, most people interested in tech and venture capital probably speak English. Yes, I think you're absolutely right in your conclusion. (laughs) Good to know. Your first job was organizing children's birthday parties in Paris. Yes, how do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I do my homework. (laughs) Tell me about a French... First of all, I'm very jealous that every kid got to have his or her birthday in Paris. Because, you know, my first birthday in Paris, I was an adult. (laughs) Um, What goes on at a French birthday party? that would be any different than a, an American birthday party. I assume you don't take them to some jumpy trampoline thing. I don't know. Oh if no, you're it's usually familiar. no no, it's usually you don't go to a restaurant, you don't go outside. It's at home. Um if you have a garden, it's in the garden. Uh the the joy and pride of the mother usually, uh, sometimes the father, but mostly the mother is is to be able to show that she baked everything that is on the table. Uh it's very um, the, the expectation is uh, home-cooked food, kids playing, not a lot of necessarily super structure. I did, the reason why the business worked really well is because I did bring that structure. Like I was a fabulous clown, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and I had a, I was actually pretty good at um, doing puppet shows. Uh, and so that's something that the French kids at the time didn't know. And so that was, that was fun. But yeah, most of my birthday when I was a kid was just my mom baking five different cakes and oh, inviting was, all the kids in the neighborhood. That was what it was <laughs> in America until the rise of the corporate birthday party, which is, you know, just this process. Yeah. I have two boys who are now older, but, you know, I took them to the, you know, the Chuck E. Cheese or the Jumpy House or the whatever it happened to be. Yeah. And pump it up. I think that was what it was called. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a, a factory. You know, they go in one door. They are allotted this amount of time to, to do whatever, and then they're allotted this amount of time to have a corporate baked cake, and then they're kicked out the door again. Yeah, we don't have that. At least not that I know of. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> to stay away from that. And, I, you know, the obvious last question for you is uh, tips on being a birthday clown. Oh, uh, be, be ready to do pretty much anything the kids want. That's usually the way to win their hearts, like from makeup to jokes to puppet shows. That's like, and be nice. But nice is not just for the clown. Nice is for everyone. I think kindness is an undervalued uh, skills and traits. Mael Gave, CEO of Techstars. 
Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV and press here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.